When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. You want to hang out with us? and Get your vaccine. And so I went to Human Resources. There are some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. The Betches Sub Podcast. A woman's problem, if you will. Hello, hello. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. And I'm Millie Tamarez. And this is the Betches Sub Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. We were just catching up before we got on the mic about the long-awaited Betches Pups initial union (laughs) over the weekend. So Tino and Rusty, um, what did they talk about? What were the biggest topics in dog news and politics over the weekend? Oh, well... They have a lot of thoughts about the Adams administration. Yeah, well, Tino <laughs> is a leftist. Tino feels like we need, you know, landlord reform. Um, I'm sorry, Valentino is Valentino. a leftist. Valentino is a leftist, absolutely. And yeah, no, they mm-hmm. were just talking about the Adams administration. You know how much better Cynthia Nixon would have been for governor, but terrible <laughs> as Miranda. Um, stuff like that, you know? You know, the thing with Rusty that's interesting is he is from... Ohio. So sometimes he's like, you know, he's doing a lot of relearning. And I think and Tino has been so gracious in his like educating of Rusty because Rusty really he is coming at things with an open heart. But like his background, he hasn't been exposed to a lot of different ideas. He is Amish. Right. Um, and, <laughs> and so it's really amazing for him to have this strong Latino man <laughs> in his life to teach him about different species, like different types of dogs and how to live in the city and yeah, the vaccines really well. are safe. I, I heard we finally overcame some vaccine hesitancy and now yeah, well Rusty was a little bit of an anti-vaxxer. I will say that although Tino the website said it was from an Amish place. Definitely the people that Tino came from were Mayor of East Town. <laughs> Mayor of East Town genre. genre Delco uh, people. Delco ca- ca- um, genre Caucasian people. And, um, but, you know, th- but that just made his relationship to populism even more mm. stronger. Uh, and, and you know what? He, he has the patience, Tino, to uh, explain and have the open heart necessary to uh, have transformative uh, politics. So it was a great I love dialogue. That. It was great. Um, it sounds like this will be an on an ongoing dialogue. And no, next time, sure. you know, when, when Morty is, he's a little older, but when he's feeling up to it, as you know, he has a lot of special needs. Not always a good day for Morty, but uh, 
you know, when he's feeling good, he can come and confer some more, some more wisdom on the little pups. That's so true because we need, we need an adult kind of grounding force because I do think that Rusty and Tino together, they get very radical Mm -hmm. and not that I don't believe in that, but Mm -hmm. it's like, we do need kind of someone who can look forward and say, you know, as an older dog. I think what he would say is he's going to come over and he's going to say, you know what, as an older dog, you can still pee out inside and he'll show them. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck these bitches. You know what they they deal with the patriarchy all the time. You can do whatever you want to them. They will clean up after you. So to start today, big morning. Just as we started recording, the website finally dropped. New healthcare website dropped, which can uh, that can go a number of ways. But 22 months into the coronavirus pandemic, the existing presidential administration has set up a website to send free test kits to all Americans. Did you guys check it out? It I works. Checked it out. It Yay! works. <laughs> well, I, mean, I didn't immediately get a test. They didn't like drone. I think they're, they're going out later this month. But it was at first I clicked on it, it did not. And then I was like snarky to somebody. I was like, ah, it doesn't work. And they're like, it totally worked for me. I just put in an extra letter. <laughs> if you test positive in New York City, you can call this number and they'll send you a, a kit. And it has masks, gloves, a thermometer, an oxometer and tests. An so oxometer. Have, wow. An oxometer and, um, and and tests. Like I got the Binax double test. kit. So I'm like, wow, this would have been helpful. March 2020. <laughs> it would have been nice to get yeah. any of this a year ago. But you know, yeah, listen, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. So if you need a test, you can say you already have COVID and they will send you a test. But you know what? This is okay. But is it better late than never, Amanda? What do you think? I think it's definitely better late than never. I mean, here's the thing it's still quite a big undertaking. And as we say with this administration, Compared to the last one, we have to recognize willingness to learn. Mm-hmm. And we have Jen Psaki literally on the mic um, saying that the idea, not saying, but sort of reacting to the idea of sending all Americans test kits as if that was silly. And then here weeks later after a surge and a really strong reaction from the public, we have this website that is like basically socialized medicine that works and you can get four tests a month. So I, I definitely think better late than never. And um you know, there's going to be more probably variants. And frankly, there's going to be, I mean, another pandemic probably. So like <laughs> we had to figure out how to do this now. Like we can't just keep waiting for the virus to become more mild and then go away because eventually there will be a variant that's stronger or there will be a new disease. So like the fact that they have shown we know how to do this now makes me feel personally reassured as like a person living in a country where this could happen again and keep happening. Well, yeah, I mean, it is good to just know like uh, obviously it would have been great to have had this website any moment before now, but we have it now. And what's great is that whatever infrastructure they have now built exists to send, have Americans request and receive medical stuff. So <laughs> totally, you know, it's at the end of the day, even if this website, like, Whatever, like we, you know, the pandemic ends, we don't need to request tests anymore. Whatever the infrastructure was built to create this website, I think is going to be really, really useful going forward. And it didn't crash like healthcare.gov. Right. And, you know, my socialist coming, like, I'm kidding. But it is interesting, like you're saying, the government has this. Somebody has to be packing these boxes. Somebody, mm-hmm. ha- you know, they need workers to do that. Can America have their own Amazon? This is where I'm going. 
This is where mm-hmm. my brain is going. Oh. Is like, because listen, these workers packing these boxes, they're being able to use the. They got to use the bathroom. They're using the bathroom. They're having lunch breaks. I think you just socialismed so hard. You did a capitalism by saying, "Can we employ so many people in America that we basically make an Amazon?" <laughs> or can we have a government-based Amazon that's more ethical, um, that has like stronger minimum wage, that isn't abusing workers, that space gives technology. Social- <laughs> Who knows? And it sends you like it doesn't send you just like kind of random like shit that you thought of to buy at like two o'clock in the morning. It sends you like important things that every American <laughs> needs for their life. No, I love this. I love the idea of being able to like get a little a little medical goodie bag from the government every month. And so how long is this going to last? I mean, right now, it seems like you can get four at once, I assume, like, as supplies last and can be replenished. And I know the government recently bought like 500 million kits, which is not a lot when you think of how often people are testing and there are 330 330 million Americans. But then I remembered that only about 50% of us are taking it seriously and (laughs) testing really regularly. So so that it's not like, yes, every American can get a test. Like, will they get a test? Probably not. I mean, I just imagine some of those health insurance executives, like probably a little bit relieved at all of the anti-vax, like all of the anti-testing sentiment, because they're not oh, going to sure have to pay for thrilled. those people's tests. Yeah. They're, they're funding Macedonian. <laughs> they're the ones putting those Facebook ads up saying, don't get tested. Yeah, exactly. Literally, I mean, we say that, but like, I wouldn't even be surprised if some no, documents is- come out when we're like 50 that are like, no, that's actually true. <laughs> Listen, everything I say, I don't know about y'all, everything I say is 100% serious. No, but it is an interesting thing. Like y'all are saying, looking to the future, this is, they're looking at this virus becoming endemic and not a pandemic, but just mm-hmm. something that we live with, like the flu, like the cold, especially if you're vaccinated. So yeah, how can we, do, you know, even though it's like a flu, like a cold, you still have to isolate. So people still need to know if they have it. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. Do you guys know how, like, when you're watching a show you watch all the time or something that, like, you can tell when um, an actor in it, like, is getting over a cold or something? You can tell when they're in a little nasally. <laughs> that, watching those in the COVID era is so jarring and traumatizing because you're like, why are you there? Hearing a sick person, like, we will, we can never hear a sick person like we used to. Like, we used to be at work and be like, oh, I I'm shouldn't sick. shake your hand. I, I have a little, a little cold. Never again. Never again. Like now, can you imagine if somebody went up to you and said, oh, I'm not going to show your hand. I'm feeling a little sick. We would all say, sir, because it's a guy, sir, go home. What the fuck are you doing here? I mean, literally, like I if I'm like out and I know that I don't know, like over the summer, like I'm having allergies or like if I just have a headache, whatever, any non-COVID related thing, I like will if I'm in public, I will like whisper and be like, today I sneezed. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't want people to like think I have COVID. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, just precisely. Like a, a culture shock when I, you know, in a former life, I was a, I was a businesswoman that would go to <laughs> Japan a lot, to the head office in Japan a few times. And you would just see people like half, most of the people are not wearing masks, but some randomly somebody has a mask and i'm like oh no why are you wearing masks that's so silly and they're like oh you know i'm feeling a little under the weather i'm still here but i'm feeling a little under weather and i don't want to spread it and i'm like that's weird but now i'm like man yep if yeah wear a mask in the office if you're not if you have to go but also stay home yeah i mean they're still trying to figure out exactly why the virus has been 
so like weird in Japan, like just compared to everyone else, they are doing amazing. They have had not nearly as many like hospitalizations and death in ways that just don't make sense given the way like it has um, worked out in like China and Korea and other like neighboring countries. But like Vietnam has also done amazing. But it, they think that the, the part that like just wearing masks was no big deal, that when this started, it wasn't like, I mean, remember us, we were like, should we wear a mask? That seems so dramatic. And they told us not to, but it was just, it was just no big deal. So that's definitely a here to stay as well. So they didn't have an anti-masker movement. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely not. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you, it's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Next story for today. We know that the financial impact of the pandemic has kind of been all over the place, but like overall negative, right? I think we can agree. (laughs) Overall global net negative impact. Uh, The incomes of approximately 99% of people around the globe fell since March 2020. More than 160 million people have been forced into poverty. But don't worry, the world's 10 richest men, specifically 10 richest men, saw their fortunes grow by more than double, according to the group Oxfam. I didn't even know Oxfam came for billionaires, but I'm whatever, fine. I know what you might be thinking, Amanda, we know billionaires make a ton of money very fast. This is how it's always been. It's getting faster because that's how exponential growth works. Like as long as we sort of sit around and talk about should we tax billionaires more, they're becoming even more billionaire (laughs) So the wealth of the world's billionaires has increased more since COVID-19 began than it has in the last 14 years. That stat blew my mind. 
those billionaires profited directly from the government money pumped into the markets to prop up the economy. So the money that the government gave people that they were able to spend, that helps these billionaires because as we've discussed, like it's the wealthy who benefit from these improvements since their wealth is concentrated in investments that become more valuable over time, but they aren't taxed over time. So if the 10 richest men, just some more stats, in the world were to lose 99% of their wealth, they would still be richer than 99% of the people on the planet. And basically, like, very, (laughs) there's plenty of ways to spin it. If they were able to give up a little bit of their wealth, it would cause this. But the Oxfam, they're saying specifically, this can be rectified by taxes. Because at least in the United States, the absence of taxable revenue makes it harder for us to provide fundamental services to people who don't have enough money to make billions in passive income from the stock market. They don't have enough money to go get food. So Oxfam, they state plainly that this system leads to inequality that is killing people and a tax on the ultra rich would would address it. Seems logical to me. Well, as someone who recently used an app to buy one stock, I (laughs) cannot uh, abide this. (laughs) Not my capital gains. What stock was it? It was called Corporate Cannabis. Okay. Wow. Okay. Wow, a sellout. I thought it was, as a joke, I bought a AMC and Nokia stock, and now I get emails about shareholder meetings, and I'm confused. <laughs> you, made, you made money off your AMC stock, though, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, but I never sold it because, you know, uh, I wanted the free popcorn, so now it's worth not that much. <laughs> um, but back to this. <laughs> you know, the thing is that Elizabeth Warren said this best, which she has incredible tax policy. Um, But, you know, people are like, oh, well, aren't billionaires allowed to, you know, make money and be rich? And it's just like they use our roads. They benefit from having workers that are like get free public school education. They if there's a fire in their factory, our firefighters are, you know what? You know, so it's, it's not like. It's not like they don't get to get to pay into that. And then what ends up happening is that these billionaires, when they don't pay their workers enough, like when somebody on Amazon is on food stamps or when someone at Walmart needs um, Section 8 housing, who's we're actually paying for that because that comes yeah. out of our collective taxes, taxes that they don't pay. What they do is they get tax deductible charities, but those charities aren't audited nearly enough. They, they, and they spend it on whatever they want to spend it on, you know, not necessarily what we need as a collective society. So billionaires are terrible. That, yeah. That's what's really frustrating too. When you see, my favorite person, Elon Musk, always like getting salty on Twitter, being like, prove to me that if I paid taxes, it would be good. And it's like, <laughs> what? You, OK, like, what do you mean? And also, as many of these senators and representatives who have unfortunately had to get into sparring matches with him on Twitter, because that's the state of things in politics, <laughs> they always point out is like, He has literally gotten pandemic relief. Like his company has also gotten subsidies to build things. Like he actually, it's not even just like talking, what Millie was talking about, which is 100% true of this, like you use our roads, you use our fire departments. There is actual literal transfers of cash from the US government to their companies in the form of subsidies, in the Mm -hmm. form of government contracts, in the form of this and that. So they really, it really just shows like, this relationship of only taking and mm-hmm. never giving back. 
Mm-hmm. And if you give back at all, it's nowhere near proportionate to what you're yeah. able what you're able to take because obviously the average American is like living off of the money that's in their paycheck. We can't put all of our paycheck in the stock market so that like we need our money because most of us don't make enough money to live. We need it to buy goods and services that we need to live. Whereas they can just shove it all away. And Speak for yourself, Amanda. I'm a corporate <laughs> cannabis. <laughs> As I was reading this, I I was thinking like, I was just thinking like, you know, think of a time in your life, the three of us, where you just felt like the most financially secure. If I can think of that place, I was like, this is good. I don't need anything else. Like, of course you do and you want it. But I would just be like, I don't know. I just don't want to take like, how can you take that much take? I just can't imagine that like take, 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 take. And not feeling because with the with Bezos and and Musk specifically, you know, they're challenged on this all the time, and they can rationalize. Um, they 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 seem to have a very logical explanation that they tell themselves for why they shouldn't mm-hmm. have to contribute more, and they're contributing plenty. But I don't know. I get my tax bill, and I'm like, all right. Well, <laughs> also too, the thing is, I mean, and Donald Trump, like whatever. But like, the thing is that like. We don't tax billionaires and rich people enough. We don't tax them enough. And they have incredible lawyers that make sure that they get all these loopholes. Or we don't have enough manpower, which is what, um, forgive me, Amanda, you can fact check me. And it wasn't in Build Back Better, like to to put more money in the IRS so that they can enforce and get more tax money back. Because like, we're not even getting the fucking minimum that they don't even pay the minimum that we're supposed to get. Because, you know, they're not they totally they have all these loopholes and all this stuff. So it's not even that like, oh, we need to pay more. It's like, they're not even paying what they should be paying. They have all these loopholes for it. Again, that was what was fascinating about Donald Trump um, with his tax shit is that it was just insane. Mm-hmm. It was all legal. And all lo- yeah. Be he paying. paid $700. Yeah. I mean, Trump, Trump probably maybe broke some laws, but I know whenever you, like whenever <laughs> like those ProPublica stories. Southern District of New York. Whenever like those ProPublica reports come out, they're always like, this is, this is perfectly legal. I'm glad you brought that up because I think, I think next week we want to start looking at like what we should pull out of Build Back Better to make a really strong impact. And that one is huge. Like the amount of money you have to put into the IRS versus how much you get back. It's like, absolutely, absolutely worth it. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and a of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. 
Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. So now we're going to discuss some follow-ups to the absolutely terrifying events out of Texas this weekend. We're also going to discuss an anti-Asian attack in New York. Both of these are probably triggering. So they're going to take up the rest of the episode. If we have time, we're going to come back to voting rights um, in about 20 minutes. So um, yesterday, I want to note, was a pre-recorded episode that we did with Josel Torres. So I, some people thought we ignored this story, but it, it, we just were off yesterday. So that's why it, it didn't come up. We are happy yesterday to address today. And that was the yeah. yeah, yeah. So we ran um, an episode that we recorded last week. Definitely listen to that. It was all about gerrymandering. But obviously, during Saturday services over the weekend, a man was welcomed into the Congregation Beth Israel Synagogue in Coleyville, Texas. Rabbi Charlie Citron Walker described how he let the man in and uh, tried to talk to him and made him tea and noticed the man was behaving unusually. Then during a prayer, the rabbi said he heard a click and knew it could potentially be a gun. He describes thinking like it could have been anything, but I also knew it could have been it definitely could have been a gun. Um, and it was. He was proven right. The one, I don't know if the word is fortunate thing, but a, a thing about what happened is um, that not a lot of people had attended this service in person because of the outbreaks that we're seeing right now. Certainly plenty, but a lot of people were watching via live stream, however, and they were the ones that called 911 because they saw that what was happening. The man was a British citizen. He held four people captive, including that rabbi, for more than 10 hours before they were able to successfully flee. He demanded the release of Afia Siddiqui, who's car she's a Pakistani neuroscientist who's serving a sentence in a Texas federal prison. I believe what she did was she tried to, she was being like interrogated related to something. And um, basically there was a standoff during that interrogation. She got her hands on a gun. And in that standoff, she was, she was basically charged for trying to kill U.S. Army officers. And this suspect that is now dead wanted, or the person that did it wanted her freed. He was 44. I mean, there are interviews with his brother who were like, I didn't even know he had the mental acuity to like leave Britain in, in a correct way, like with what was going on with him. The FBI were there. SWAT teams were there. I mean, everything was there. Rabbi Charlie Citron Walker shared with CBS this morning how he and the others ultimately escaped. Uh, this is just crazy. He said that in the last hour of the standoff, things were not going well. He said that the gunman was sounding and looking worse and worse, wasn't getting what he wanted and was getting frustrated that he wasn't getting what he wanted. So, I mean, I keep saying that the, the hostages fleed. I've seen it referred to as they were rescued. I've seen it referred to as they were released. I think they fled. They saved themselves. We, we, we saw the video. They yeah. Citron Walker said that he waited for a moment when he felt like the gunman wasn't looking and was in a position where he couldn't get to them. And uh, he looked at his the people and he said, we're going to go. And he threw a chair at the gunman. And if you've seen the video, all three of them get out. Um, there are no gunshots that you hear. The 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 gunman like sort of follows them, but doesn't end up shooting at them. He looks really confused, but um, they saved themselves. They got out of there. The rabbi 
saved them. And the hostage taker died at the scene. It remains unclear whether he shot himself or was shot by law enforcement um, when we're recording this Tuesday at around one. Um, I can't believe that this story ended this way. And I hope the fact that it did end this way doesn't mean that we like forget about it too soon. Yeah, it was really crazy to like watch the news coming in about it in the evening. And I remember I had gone to bed like kind of before the situation was resolved. So there was such a relief when I woke up in the morning because that was like the first thing that I checked in the news to see that everyone had been had gotten out safely. But it's just really alarming. It's really scary to see houses of worship for any faith targeted at all. You know, this is multiple times in my life I can think of that we saw that there was the church in South Carolina with Dylan Roof the I'm forgetting the name but it's a historically black church there was that one there was I mean there's the Christchurch massacre in New Zealand there was the tree of life synagogue shooting so it's like I I feel like now this is part of our world in the way that school shootings are and like I it's such a even I mean I'm not going to put things on on level, but it feels like an even more horrific escalation of our gun problem that like houses of worship are targeted. Well, and it's also like, you know, people go to these places to it's also it's always sad to me because it's like no matter what, you know, obviously there's an anti-Semitism issue that, you know, I know we're going to address later, but it's also like. It's always sad to me because it the, the the start of these situations are like they welcomed the gunman with open arms like they wanted him you know th- these are places for community ultimately no matter what the religion is it's a place for community and like these have been a hard few years for people and people are looking for places to be safe have community and, and feel something and feel a higher purpose and higher connection and it's just always sad and scary when. And these places are in danger or not safe like people thought they were or that they're able to be these like places of insane tragedy like it's just it's just so fucked up just like school should be this place that's safe that people should learn and grow as human beings and it's becoming this place where kids die in it's like you know I mean that just sucks it's just it's not it's not cool and like obviously you know this man was mentally ill and felt you know an injustice and and it's just sad that he felt like the only way he could get justice is by you know doing this it's it's just a really sad difficult situation but I, i'm glad especially with you know other crime like con in the context of what's going on in this country like i'm glad that these people got away and like this ended just so lucky because you know there's been situations in our news recently where you know cops end up shooting the wrong person like on accident and all that you know i mean 11 people died in tree of life 11 people yeah i mean that's again not to put a mass shooting is anything over i believe four it might be five people so we're so used to hearing mass shootings and not like at least like not to put them up but 11 people and that's why yeah. I said, like, I don't want the fact that this ended this way, this way. I mean, Elise, you were saying yesterday that you even felt like it wasn't being characterized as a targeted anti-Semitic mm. attack enough. And well, I, I think I agree with you. Yeah, I think this something that was interesting was um, 
right after the attack, when the police were kind of doing their initial reports, I kept seeing this phrase when I was like getting ready to write for the newsletter that was like, his motives were not connected to the Jewish community. And it's like, okay, maybe that's true, like on paper, but clearly this is a mentally ill person who went into a synagogue and held people hostage. So even if to you, his motives don't seem connected to the Jewish community. Clearly, in his mind, they were connected to the Jewish community. Right. Texas isn't like, Texas has a lot of people, so it has a lot more Jews than you might think. But it's not, um, it's not New Jersey or New York. It's not like you're driving by where we are all the time and you can say, like, I just want, I'm feeling mad today. I'm going to go for those people. It's like, you, you found where a synagogue, you found where a synagogue was. You targeted a synagogue. Yeah. You target a place where Jews are that is anti-Semitic. Yeah, and he didn't go to a government office for this. You know, he didn't go to somewhere. Which would have made more sense. Yeah, like he didn't. He, he didn't choose some sort of like. Well, I guess it's like just because somebody is mentally like, why are we so? Like, it's a problem that when you are deranged mentally, your mind goes to hating Jews. Like, that's a, that's a problem itself. So it's like, we can't just be like, oh, it was just because because we'll talk about this next. Also, with like the anti Asian attack, people are like, I don't know if it was. You know, I've also heard that described as, well, that person, that killer went up to another person first and might have pushed them. And then he went up to the Asian woman. And it's like, well, we need to if, if, it's fine if yeah. we're going to say mental illness and not all of it is like, I don't know if this guy clearly this guy wasn't reading like QAnon conspiracy theories. But there's something wrong when people's first instinct when they are losing touch with reality is to target Jews. Well, yeah, and attack and, a synagogue. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, this is remnant of to me. I mean, um of the, the attack on the massage parlors last year where it was all mostly Asian women and then, you know, the cops were like, oh, it was just a bad day or it had nothing to do with race or it's not a hate crime and it's just like, no, but like, let's, yes, it is. You know, and then it's exactly why did like, he think, yeah. yeah, it's like, why did he think he was going to get away? You know, and like, it's just, uh, and a lot of, yeah, it's just, it's just, let's, when people do an attack, Let's let's see what you know. You have to call it what it is. We we'll yeah. call it what it is exactly. Yeah, if only in the impact, because there's plenty of anti-Semitism to go around. I mean, Jewish people in America make up just two percent of the population, but fifty-eight percent of recorded hate crimes are against us. And in 2020, hate crimes targeting Jews comprised almost sixty percent of all religious bias crimes. I just said that, but it's like it's it's been consistent year to year. Um, the congregation, they, I mean, the rabbi says that he feels he was able to survive this because after that 2018 shooting at the Tree of Life synagogue, he got training. His entire congregation got training, like really intense training for literally how to survive something like that and how to de-escalate. They have been, they've been ready for this because they know, they knew these attacks were coming. And anti-Semitism is central to the QAnon conspiracy theory, which nobody is, I mean, Trump last month said that evangelical Christians love Israel more than Jews in this country. So there is still, they're still fanning that flame. And I do think that like, like you said, Elise, it's like, even if this specific person's intent wasn't that he hated Jews. Like, there's going to be copycat crimes. We're normalizing going into places of worship and shooting them like we have school shootings. The kids doing school shootings now are doing it because they've seen it so much, because they want their names in the paper. What's to stop another anti-Semitic asshole or an asshole who just wants attention and wants his name in the picture or in the paper from going to a synagogue? Because that's like how you do it now. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's terrifying. I know um, a friend of mine in the before times, right before the before, um, he got married at a really famous synagogue in D.C. And I remember being kind of taken aback by the level of security and like metal detectors and stuff that were going in. And that was like back then because Tree of Life had happened and they knew that they needed to be protected. And, you know, like, When you're talking about going into these sacred spaces, whether it be a synagogue or a church or a mosque or anywhere that someone's going to, like, pray and get themselves right, like, to have to be reminded of violence Mm. as you're going in is so sad to me Mm. because I, you know, like, people deserve to be able to, like, have the sanctity of that space, which is really terrifying. And to go to your point about QAnon, when I was writing the newsletter this morning, the FBI and DHS put out a letter yesterday basically being like, Houses of worship should be on the lookout for this because our monitoring of domestic terrorist forums is just rife with really anti-Semitic stuff going on. I mean, they're like obviously tying tying Jewish people to COVID, to the 2020 election, to the situation in Afghanistan somehow. Um, And DHS was like, we think that some of this is also fueled potentially by foreign actors, which is really scary. Um, and then they rile these people up online and you get someone who's mentally ill like this man and he doesn't really understand what the connection is between why he thinks this between this woman's imprisonment and Jews in his mind. But it doesn't matter if he understands it. What matters is that he brought a gun to a synagogue and held people hostage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are people that very much do understand that. And like you said, are trying to foment a lot of hate and violence based on it for, for yes. their own political gain. Like I said, I'm thank God everybody got out of here. That was such a unlikely scenario. I mean, this it, I encourage you to watch the CBS this morning interview with the rabbi. Frankly, if I he didn't look ready to be giving an interview, um, it's it's really heavy um, and 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 really hard to watch. Um, and also this weekend, a woman named Michelle Elisago was killed in New York after she was pushed in front of a subway car in Times Square. Michelle Ooh. was Asian American. She was Chinese American. And this obviously adds to a series of anti-Asian attacks taking place in cities across the country. Eight months ago, 61-year-old Yao Pan Ma was also attacked in New York City, and he died of his injuries on New Year's. So he was very, very <sighs> wounded for very long and sadly passed away. Michelle was a consultant. She was 40, as I said. She was living on the Upper West Side. She worked in Deloitte. She was very involved in her community. um, And she worked um, specifically with groups that helped the homeless. She was uh, Chinese American, but police say there was no indication, as we said, that her death was a hate crime. They believe she was chosen at random. They say the person who killed her was an unhoused, mentally ill man who admitted to the crime and that he had approached someone else before her, which is what led them to believe that maybe this was not a racially motivated attack. But, you know, it's it's kind of similar to the story we just discussed. As long as people are targeting these groups, they remain targets and it normalizes us as as targets. And um, it just makes it it's less of a barrier for the next mentally unhinged person to see an Asian person on the subway and push them. You know, like, I mean, I'm sure we all have friends that live in the city that are now spending money they don't have on um, cabs and Ubers because they're not getting on they're not getting on the subway. Well, pushed in front of the train is like the scariest subway. Like every New Yorker has thought about like, what would I do if someone who was not well, like tried to push me onto the tracks? And again, like, as we've been saying, you know, why maybe he targeted an Asian woman because he perceived her as weaker or had other like, like, we don't know what type of things like 
play into why he would pick one person or another, you know what I mean? But it's like when we have so much racism, anti-Semitism, so much hate that's just swirling around in the culture, and then we also have no, we have a mental health crisis and no help for anybody Mm -hmm. who's going through it, Mm -hmm. that racism is going to play out in ways that maybe don't even seem direct to us, Mm -hmm. but it's still racism at its core. Well, it's also, it's just... You know, this is a great example of a lot of issues in this country of like, you know, unhoused, mentally ill people with no resources, like Elise says, um, unaddressed anti-Asian sentiment, um, and then also just infrastructure with like, in other countries, they have little gates in front of the subway that prevent people from jumping. You know, like we don't even have, like, it's just raw dog in the subway. Like, it's just like, kind of crazy. It's it is. We do raw dog the subway. There is, so a, there is a girl on TikTok who uses, have you seen this? She bike locks herself to the pole yeah, when I she saw, waits for the subway if she's yeah. by herself late at night. And that doesn't seem crazy to me. Well, There is, for anyone in New York, I don't know who designed when you go from Union Square from the N to the L, but there is the tiniest little strip of like walking yep. between you. like like you can't if if you are not a frequenter of the New York subway let me tell you it is crazy it's the level of like not safety yeah. is going on down there I, yeah i just know even in the past like i don't know what I, the past like 8 months are all of since I think this has been more activated. I just know specifically my Asian American friends are like, I'm not taking the subway. I'm not doing that. Never. Well, yeah. And it's just like, so it's like all these issues and, and, you know, I just wish that, or I hope that we use not, you know, no one should die. Well, her, the group, the groups that, that she worked with. And I think her community members and the article I read said, this is an unbelievable tragedy. And it happened because there aren't enough resources and access to information and care. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, they didn't. And this is crazy because, you know, it was a New York Post article or like a page six. So they really villainize. They take every opportunity they can to divide based on race and, and mm-hmm. class. But they even included the quote where, where it was like, this is not this is a structural problem. And it needs to be addressed, like you said, Millie, in a number of ways from the from 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 the anti-Asian sentiment to the lack of resources that had that man ended up and had them both ended up in that position. That is our show for today. Um, if you if you know any ways, I will keep an, an eye out on if Michelle's friends or community have shared ways uh, to support them or her or things that she uh, would have wanted us to support. Uh, definitely let me know. That is our show. We will be back tomorrow. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Elise Ramirez. And this is the Better Up Podcast. Bye-bye. The Betcha Sup Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.